There you go. That's why you go to church, right? <laughs> Plus, there's donuts and kolaches out there. All right. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. Um, we're kind of shifting up service like we started at the beginning of the year. Um, I mentioned this at the beginning of the year that one of the things I tend to do is that I'll spend a little bit of time um, studying what the number of that new year is, what it means in Hebrew. And it's an, 18 an inter- has an interesting meaning in, in the Hebrew language because it's bringing a positive and a negative word together that probably shouldn't go together is kind of how it works. And, and so it has this connotation of transforming something um, that is negative into a positive, transforming death into life, transforming um, hatred into love, transforming addiction into freedom. That's what 18 means. And I, I told you that I felt like God put a word in my heart for the beginning of this year, that word is shift. I think there's some shift that God wants to do in every single one of our lives. And, and so we've been kind of shifting how we do service. We're putting worship at the end of the service and, and uh, kind of putting the message more here in the middle so you can respond to the message in worship. And, and so we've been doing this series that we're calling Restart. And the question that we've been asking in this series is how will this year be different? And I think it's a great question, and, and I think a lot of us, we tend to attack that question with all sorts of physical plans. We're going to put a health plan together. We're going to put a diet plan, an exercise plan together. We're going to put a financial plan together. We're going to put a relational plan together, which are all fantastic ideas. I encourage you to do every single one of those. But if you don't address the spiritual blockage in your life, 2018 will not be any different than 2017 or any other previous years. The the Apostle Paul, he describes this at the end of um, the book in Ephesians when he's talking to the believers in Ephesus. And he says this in verse 10. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. And so the Apostle Paul is describing here that you even though you might think that your battles against your employer, your battles against your spouse, and you're having all this conflict going, he said, no, no, you need to understand that our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's not with people. There are, there are spiritual forces that are work in people's lives and, and in our own lives that creates all of these issues and all, all of these conflicts. And so we need to understand that these spiritual forces want to keep you stuck. They want to keep you entrenched so that you're unable to move forward in all that God has for you. So you want to move forward. Maybe there's things you want to see shifting in your life. But you keep on falling short. Well, the Apostle Paul says we got to address these spiritual things that are going on because there are demonic spiritual forces that actually have strategies to keep you stuck. And I think this is really important for us to understand that how, we, how we're supposed to, to live our life and how we wage war. So we've been looking at how to do this. How to contend with these spiritual forces. How to overcome these strategies that the devil has put in place to keep you stuck. And I mentioned this the last couple of weeks, that one of the things I've learned over the years is that even though there are all these things that God wants to do in and through our lives, and even though there's all these things that God has provided for us, these incredible promises that God has provided for us, if we don't step into those things, if we don't contend for those things, then we'll keep falling short. We're not going to be able to step into all the wonderful things that God has for us. And the reason why we have to contend, look at this in Philippians 
Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, notice what his words that he uses. He says, I press on to take hold of. I press on. I contend for what it is that God has provided for me. And this is so important for us to understand because the reason why you have to contend is not because you're fighting to get God to do something on your behalf. God's the one who's already provided these for us. So many people, we get this mixed up in our head. We think our, we, we, we complain and we grumble and we beg and plead trying to get God to do something and we've gotten all, it all wrong. I find too many Christians are fighting God when they don't realize that it's the devil that's, that's thwarting them. It's the devil that's trying to keep them entrenched. And so the reason why we have to contend for these things is because the devil has these strategies to keep you stuck, to keep you from being able to move forward into all that God has for you. And so what we've been doing is that we've been looking at how to do this by looking at an example in the Old Testament of a guy by the name of Caleb. So if you have your Bible, go to Joshua chapter 14. It's in the Old Testament, beginning part of your Bible. Joshua 14, or you can also follow on the screen. In verse 6, it says this, now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Yephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So that on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Then he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain in which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Now, we specifically looked at this passage three weeks ago, and I encourage you, if you missed any of the last three weeks in this series, I encourage you to go online and get caught up here, because there's so much to all of these layers of things that we've been trying to dissect over the last several weeks. But the thing that, I, that strikes me every single time that I read this passage is that Caleb, who's now 85 years old, when it would have been easy for him just to do something good for himself. I mean, he had been putting up with all these other people and, and their, their faithlessness and their doubts and their complaining. And 85 years old, when it would have been easy for him just to take, take his inheritance and go on some long vacation in the Caribbean and to get a condo on Shalom Acres that overlooked uh, the, the beach, it would have been easy for him just to settle and to kind of go in the background and just to kind of rest on his laurels of what he had done previous in his life. And would have been easy for him just to let other people lead when it would have been easy for him just to fall back into the same old, same old that everybody else was doing. That's not what Caleb did. 
Caleb asked for a mountain. At 85 years old, when you would think it's time to retire, Caleb asks for the mountain. I I love this because the NIV translates the mountain as the hill country. Caleb asks for the hill country. For his inheritance, he asks for the hill country. And in asking for the hill country, Caleb's asking for a rematch with those opponents that had annihilated and completely humiliated them 40 years earlier. And asking for the hill country, Caleb was asking for the most difficult territory in the entire promised land. Remember, this land that he was asking for was where the Anakim lived, the Nephilim, the literal giants who had caused the Israelites to shake in their sandals and say, there's no way these giants live in this land. We are but grasshoppers to them. And they were so afraid that they wished they could go back and just be slaves in Egypt. This was the land that Caleb was asking for. This was the territory that he was choosing for his inheritance. God, give me the hill country. Look at this in Joshua 15, verse 13. It says, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Yephunneh, a portion of, in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Aliman, Talmai, descendants of Anak. Now this story, we started talking about this last week, the story shows us four major strongholds that Caleb had to contend with in order for him to step into his inheritance, to step into the promises that God had for him. But as well, this story is a great example for us, a great picture of the spiritual giants that we also have to contend with. If we're going to move forward If we're going to step into all that God has for us, this is a picture of the strongholds of the giants that we have to contend with as well. And so last week, we looked at the first of these three strongholds, which were these three Anakite brothers who were the literal giants ruling over this land, Talmai, Sheshai, and Aliman. Those were the giants we talked about last week. And we looked at how these three giants tend to be three of the spiritual giants that squat in our lives to try to control us, to try to keep us from moving forward in all that God has for our lives. And so just like Caleb had to contend with these three giants, you and I, we also have to contend with these three big spiritual giants that we tend to um, come into our life on and off throughout our lifetime. But there's one more giant. We looked at those three last week. And again, I encourage you, if you missed last week, to go online, go through it, listen to it, pray pray through it, because these are things you'll face over and over and over in your life. But there's one more giant that I want us to look at that Caleb had to contend with, and you and I have to contend with us all as, as well. And to be honest, I have really struggled whether or not to even share this one with you. Because this is one that we tend to not talk about in church. This is one that, for me, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this one because of the nature of it. But this, nevertheless, is a giant that does affect our lives. And so as I prayed through this, trying to weigh whether I should even talk about this or not, I felt from the Spirit of the Lord that I was supposed to go ahead and move forward with it. So let's look at this again in Joshua 15, verse 13, and it says this. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Yephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. 
From Hebron, Caleb drove out these three Anakites, the Sheshai, Aimon, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. And then look at one other passage, Joshua 14, verse 13. It says, And Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Yephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Yephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who is the greatest man among the Anakites. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to underline the word Arba, because Arba was known as the progenitor of the Anakite race, Israel's most formidable foe, the Anakites, the race of giants, the Nephilim, the ones that some theologians suggest were the, the race of people that come, came from the offspring of, of fallen angels breeding with human women. In Genesis chapter 6, it talks about that. And so Arba was known as the most famous hero of that entire race. And the city that Joshua gave to Caleb was then named after him, Kiriath Arba. This is the inheritance that Joshua gave to Caleb. This was the inheritance that Caleb even asked for himself. Now think about this, because as difficult as this hill country was, it was even more difficult because the Anakites occupied this territory. But as difficult as this, this territory was because the Anakites occupied this territory, that's nothing compared to the city which was at the epicenter of this territory. Because this city that Joshua gave to Caleb as his inheritance, the city of Kiriath Arba, was entrenched with layers of strongholds. Because not only did Caleb have to contend with Talmai, Sheshai, and Aliman, those current giants that were ruling over this city, but Caleb also had to deal with the generational entrenchments that the city was formed on. Now, let me explain this to you so you can follow along here with me. Because Arba's son was Anak. And Anak in Hebrew means strangling necklace chain. We talked about this last week that when you're studying scripture, it's important to go back and look at what some of the original meanings were. Always remember the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of things that God wants to do in our lives, but with a new covenant. And so how you see what it is and how you study and look story, you don't just read it as stories. You look at what is the meaning of that story. And so how do you understand part of the meaning is by looking at how those words actually meant in the original language. And so so Anak's name means strangling necklace chain. In the common translation of Anak, our Lord of the earth, tribal king, military leader, and leader of men and gods. That's the common translation of Anak. And so Anak was known as the deity of crafts, the deity of mischief. The deity of water and seawater and lake water. The deity of intelligence. The deity of creation. Now follow this through here. Because not only did Caleb choose this hill country that was so difficult to navigate and to conquer. And not only did Caleb choose this territory that was occupied by Israel's most formidable foe. But Caleb chose this territory that was at the center of witchcraft activity and guarded by these three giants. And interestingly enough, even when 
Caleb pushed out these three giants from that city of Kiriath Arba. The new name that Caleb gave to this city was Hebron. And Hebron is such an interesting name because it has a dual meaning. It shows both the redemptive aspects of the city, but it also shows the shades of embedded witchcraft that this city was formed on because the redemptive aspect of the word Hebron in the original Hebrew language means this. Seed of association, to be joined, to coupled, lig, to heap up, to have fellowship with. That's the redeemed aspect of the city. And, And what's interesting is Joshua actually affirms this redeemed aspect by naming Hebron as one of the six cities of refuge within Israel. That's a whole other study by itself. But Joshua claims Hebron as one of these six cities of refuge. And so Hebron became known as a city of faith, rest, and refuge. But the name Hebron also means this, to be a charmer, a spell, or enchantment, to join or unite Two or more things by casting a spell or trying, tying up a person by magic to influence people or the result by charming efforts. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that, that Hebron has this mixture of meanings? It reflects how the city was established, Kiriath Arba. That it was established and built on all this witchcraft activity, but then The redemptive nature of God is how he transforms it and makes it into a city of faith, a city of rest, a city of refuge. I find this just so interesting because, and I think it's significant for every one of our lives, because in taking faith steps forward in your walk with God, you're going to have to contend with witchcraft. It's something, it's one of these giants that tend to infect our lives that we tend to not talk about. But nevertheless, it is a giant that affects our lives. And the nature of witchcraft is that it's so insidious. In other words, it causes harm that is so gradual and not easily recognizable. That's the nature of witchcraft and it's working in our lives. And so what's the essence of witchcraft? Well, 1 Samuel 15 verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And so the essence of witchcraft is wanting to be a spiritual mover and shaker. Follow this. The essence of witchcraft is that you want to be a spiritual mover. In other words, you want to see God do things. You want to be a part of the supernatural. You want to do great things. However, you're not fully yet submitting to God. And that's the combination that gets inside of us. Jesus said it this way in John 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. When he lies, he speaks the native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now follow what Jesus is talking about here. Because Jesus is describing that all supernatural power is either going to come from God or from the devil. And so what he's describing here is that God gives power to those who believe the truth. In other words, to approach God, truth is the cost of entry. But the opposite is with Satan because the nature of Satan is all about deception. And so Satan gives power to those who believe a lie. And so believing a lie is the cost of entry to access Satan's power. James 3, verse 15 says, such wisdom, quote unquote, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. 
And so witchcraft starts with a heart of rebellion and works by focusing on a lie. Now please listen to me. Because this is the insidious nature of how witchcraft works. It starts with the heart of rebellion, something inside of our heart, but it works by focusing on an eye. And the irony is that due to the inherent deceptive nature of witchcraft, we all can fall into it, often thinking that we're serving God. When all the while what we're doing is that we're tapping into the power of Satan and not from God. That's the insidious nature of witchcraft. And that's why he can get into Christian believers. You think you're doing things for God. You say you're a believer, but you haven't realized that this stuff has seeped inside of you and you've commingled it together. That's why it's so imperative that that witch stuff inside of us has to die. It has to come out of us because if we're ever going to deal with the witchcraft that's infecting our area in this region, we first have to deal with the witchcraft that's found its way in us. And I think this is really important for us, especially in where we live, because this Austin area and this hill country is known for worldwide witchcraft activity. It's all over, especially here in the ill country. It's a hotbed for witchcraft activity. There are, even, there are even schools for wizards here in the hill country. And so it's really important for us to understand that if we're going to deal effectively with the impact that witchcraft is having in people's lives, we first have to address the witchcraft that's gotten inside of every single one of us. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, Christianity is so entangled with the world that millions never guess how radically they've missed the New Testament pattern. Compromise is everywhere. The world is whitewashed just enough to pass inspection by blind men posing as believers. I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know how you hear that, to be honest. But I'm so concerned for us as as people who say you're following Jesus, but you don't realize that things have seeped inside of you, that you're commingling God and actually satanic activity. So let me ask you some questions. It's very simple because do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? Or have you fallen into a place where you're trusting more in your lie? Is what you're doing based upon truth, or is it based upon a lie? In other words, are you using God's power, or are you using the power of suggestion? Are you walking in faith, or are you walking in presumption and superstition? I can't tell you how many times I hear Christians say something like this. You know, I haven't gotten the flu yet, knock on wood. Listen, that's not funny. Because think of what you just did. You just, you're a Christian, and you just co-mingled superstition, knock on wood? Listen, folks, this is what we're talking about, how easy it is just to co-mingle these things in us, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize how far we have missed the truth. And so is what you're doing born out of faith 
in God or out of your own impatience and your ability to get things done because you're a mover and a shaker. You have gifts, you have talents, and you can make things happen. Are you relying on past methods or are you stopping to hear what the voice of the Lord is speaking to you now? Who really are you trusting? Who's the one who's really getting the glory? In whom or what is in control of your life? This is where we start. These are the questions that we have to get because you need to understand this just kind of seeps inside of us. And this is especially true when you live in a culture, when you live in an area where this is a hotbed of witchcraft activity. And it's so easy for it to seep inside of you and you don't even realize it because that's how insidious it is. That's how dangerous it is. And so it's so easy for us to fall into a place where we end up following after our own desires. We're following after our own cravings. We're following after our own longings. And as a result, we've given place to deception. We've given place to a lie. And so now this witchcraft is intermingled with what you're trying to do as a believer. This is why if you were here three weeks ago when we talked about that stage that the Israelites had to go through, a stage called Kiriath Hata'avah. Hard to pronounce, but an incredible point that we have to go to every single time. This place where we have to come to that graves of desire, the graves of longing, the graves of our cravings. Because if we don't die continually to these things, then inadvertently, unknowingly, we can commingle this junk with God, thinking I'm serving God, thinking I'm following after God, but it's not faith. It's presumption. It's not faith. It is superstition here. If we don't die to those things in ourselves, then witchcraft has a way, has an open door inside of us. And so again, if we're really going to make kingdom advancements and kingdom movements in our life, if you're really going to see things shift in your life, then you have to contend with these spiritual giants that want to keep you stuck and entrenched where you are, especially the spiritual giant of Anak, who wants to come and surround you and infect you with witchcraft and all sorts of curses. Now, since the nature of witchcraft is so insidious, I thought I'd do this. Let me try to point out for you some of the evidences that may be even working now in your life and in your area of influence. Number one, an assault of witchcraft will leave you disoriented or confused and may even make you feel clumsy. So if you're trying to figure out, okay, has anything, is, this, is there anything that's mixed in with all of this? So number one, a soul of witchcraft will leave you disoriented or confused. You may even feel, make you feel clumsy. And so you may have a hard time connecting your spiritual vision, the call of God on your life, your purpose, and your motivation becomes lacking. And maybe, you may have even lost your motivation. This is an evidence that witchcraft is active in your life. Number two, when you're targeted by witchcraft, you'll feel emotionally drained or debilitated and often physically sick. And so you may carry this dark cloud in your countenance. Your, the back of your neck might be tight and often painful. And you have this band of oppression around your head. That's an evidence that witchcraft is working in your life. Number three, often curses released from witchcraft will arouse a number of inordinate fears which will plague your mind. 
A bunch of fears begin to plague your mind, so you, have, you end up having these grotesque and disturbing dreams and images that flash in your mind and even kind of goes further because you're wearied by these things because you're not getting enough sleep. That's, a, that's an evidence of witchcraft working in your life. And then number four, when curses are aimed at you, your relationships will experience constant problems distracting you from your primary focus and calling. And so irritation levels will be high. Patience will be low. People will be more likely to complain about each other, gossiping and backbiting and suspicion increases. Rebellion against leaders and spiritual authorities will seem justified. And the temptation to withdraw from Christian fellowship will be extremely strong. These are some of the evidences that witchcraft has wormed its way into your life and into your spheres of influence. And so the question becomes, okay, so how do we contend with this? How do we contend with this fourth giant? We talked about the three giants last week. How do we contend with this fourth giant, this, this, this spiritual giant of Anak? In other words, how do we break the effect of these curses of witchcraft in your life and in your spheres of influence? Remember what we talked about last week. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And so you need to always understand the authority rests in Jesus Christ. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your prayers or your words or your church attendance. It's not by people praying over you. It's because of the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said, because all authority rests in me, now you go. And the reason why you can go is because what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 19, says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Let me just suggest to you that there's nothing passive about this. When, you're, when you recognize there are giants in your life that are trying to keep you stuck and entrenched, that there needs to be this kind of holy fire that rises up inside of you and it says, No more. You're not going to affect my kids. You're not going to affect my marriage. You're not going to affect my life, my future here. That rises up because you, the reason why it can rise up is because Jesus has given you spiritual keys. You don't have to be a victim of all the devil wants to do in your life. You can stand against that and say no. And so that's what he's saying. I've given you these keys. And so you have the ability to release things here on the earth. And if you'll speak that and if you'll release it on earth, it'll happen in the heavenlies. And if you'll forbid it to happen here on the earth, it'll change what happens in the heaven and it will no longer affect you. And so the apostle James, he gives us this action point in James 4 verse 7. He says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The message paraphrases it this way. It says, so let God work his will in you. Let, yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Listen, folks, if you don't know what else to do, if you don't know else, how else to pray, just simply go right here. James, what James says here, just simply do what he says. Because what, what what, the essence of what you're doing is you're saying yes to God. Yes to his will, yes to his word. You read your, your Bible, and this is what God says. And so you begin to just declare and proclaim God's will, and you release his will in your life. You release it in your marriage. You release it in your work situation. You release it over your kids. And at the same time, you yell aloud no to the devil, where you say, nah, no, devil, you're not going to work here. No, you're, you're, not, you're not permitted to work here. And you declare and proclaim that by releasing yourself and your life and those around your spheres of influence from the devil's work. This, folks, is how you break the effect of these curses in your life. Always remember, the proverb says this, that a curse without cause must flee. 
And so curses, when they're released, either intentionally or unintentionally, look for an openness in our life. And so what we're doing is that you need to close the doors. Close the doors. That's why we need to be quick to repent and swift to obey. It's not to get God to love you anymore. It's to close the door on the devil. So the devil doesn't have an entry point into your life. So you can boldly say yes to God and no to the devil. This is how we overcome here. And so for the assault of witchcraft that leaves you disoriented and confused and blocks your vision, it's absolutely imperative that you remember we're to bless those who curse us. Oh, you need to hear this, folks. We're to bless those who curse us. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 19. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself. But rather give place to wrath where it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is why we bless instead of curse. We will be people of blessing. The Bible says that through the blessing of the righteous, a city is exalted. You're to speak blessing with your mouth and not get into this, this nasty speak that's so prevalent in our culture today where you're just speaking curses over our government officials, curses over your neighbor, curses over people who believe differently than you. Because if you do that, if you enter into this, you've already lost the battle of your soul. We're to bless instead of curse. And so I want to pray with you over this. So if you would, I want you to just close your eyes. I'm just going to lead you in just praying over this one specific issue. Just pray this out loud following me here. Say, Heavenly Father, I submit to you. I let go of my desires. I let go of my longings. I let go of my rights. I surrender my life and my ministry to you. And in Jesus' name, I declare no devil. In Jesus' name, I release myself from this Anax spirit which seeks to manifest in my life and my ministry through witchcraft. I break the power of those words and those curses and those hexes and those vexes and those incantations that have been released in my life and my ministry. And in Jesus' name, I release myself and my family, and my ministry from the impact of those words. Now, Father, I pray that you would forgive the people who are knowingly and unknowingly serving the devil. Lord, you said that those who bless us, you would bless, and those who curse us, you would curse. But, Father God, these people are already under your curse. So, therefore, I pray that you would pour out your redemptive blessings, those very blessings which shatter darkness with light, those blessings that overcome evil with good, those blessings that bring hope and life to the hopelessly dead. Reveal Jesus to them, for they know not what they do. Open their eyes to your love and to your kindness. And in Jesus' name, I loose these people from the strong man over them. And I ask you, Father, to destroy the strategies of the enemy against them and to destroy all assignments of Satan against me and my family and my church. Glorify your name, Father, 
come down, O God, and scatter the enemy. Confuse the camp of the enemy in Jesus' name. Make your name glorious in their eyes. Manifest your love towards those who don't know you. Father, let your kingdom come in my life and in my ministry as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Now for the assault of witchcraft that causes debilitation and oppression, Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken heart and to bring freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. See, folks, we need to put on this garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness because the battle against you will, will want to keep you from worshiping God. This battle that's against you wants to keep you from God and keep you from focusing your attention on God and keep you from coming into the presence of God. And so when you're under this assault of witchcraft, it's absolutely imperative that you proactively and intentionally worship God. Not because you feel like it, but because you know that that's where you'll find your release. And so you build this buffer of worship around your soul. You worship your way out of that heaviness. Did you hear me? You worship your way out of that heaviness. And so right where you are, just close your eyes. I want, you, I want to pray with you here again. And so just pray this out loud. Let me say, Heavenly Father, you seek worship in spirit and in truth. And so in the midst of this battle, I choose to be your worshiper. I enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus for delivering me from evil, and for the many times you answered my prayers. Thank you for all the blessings that you've won for me. And so in Jesus' name, I break the power of oppression that's trying to work in my life. And in Jesus' name, I release myself and my family from the assault of oppression. God, your word says that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Your word says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Your word says that Jesus alone holds the keys to death and hell. Your word says that the Lord is my shield and my buckler, the lifter of my head. Your word says that you will be a wall of fire around me and the glory in our midst. Your word says that the Lord is my strength. Of whom shall I be afraid? Your word says that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so thank you, Lord, that you always hear our prayers and you answer them. And so I ask for your warring angels to come and to drive out 
the spiritual giant of Anak from my life and from my family and from my ministry in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, and be my shield, my comfort. Surround me with your love and your peace and your joy. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's another one. For the soul of witchcraft that overwhelms you with fear. What does the Bible say about fear? 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so always remember, Satan is a liar. Everything he'll speak to you is a lie. He cannot tell you the truth. It always will be a perver perversion of the truth. And so stop listening to him. Stop listening to those voices that say you're not good enough, that you're not going to make it, that you're going to fail, that nobody wants you. Stop listening to those fears that are encroaching into your heart and simply do what God has called you to do. Step out in faith, be bold, and allow God then to heal those roots of fear. So right where you are, just close your eyes. Let me lead you again in praying this. And so just say this out, out loud. Say, Lord God, forgive me for my fears. I confess that I've been seeking to save my life when you, in fact, have called me to lose it for your sake. And so in Jesus' name, I renounce fear. God, you've not given me a spirit of fear. And so I release myself and my family from these inordinate fears and these insecurities and these anxieties and these false imaginations. And in Jesus' name, I break the power of the spirit of fear that's trying to work in my life and in my family and in my ministry. And in Jesus' name, I bind myself to the mind of Christ. And I declare, according to your promises, O God, that you will deliver me from all of my fears. In Jesus' name, amen. And then there's one more. For the assaults against you with constant irritations and division and strife among your relationships, remember your battle is not against your spouse. Your battle is not against your kids. Your battle is not against your parents. Your battle is not against your family. Your, babble, your battle is not against the people in the church. Your battle is not against your pastor. Your battle is not against your employer. Your battle is not against your coworker. Your battle is not against people. Remember what Paul said, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, folks, that's where the battle has to be waged. So if you would just close your eyes again here, and just pray this out loud here. Say, Lord, I ask that you would grant me the gift of discernment. Forgive me for judging others. Forgive me for giving into gossip. Forgive me for taking up offense. Forgive me for my entrenchments in pride. Forgive me for failing to see the work of the enemy who seeks to divide us. God, I submit to you and I let go of my pride. And in Jesus' name, I break the power of division. I break the power of strife. I break the power 
of pride that's trying to work in my life and in my family. And in Jesus' name, I stand against this assault on my life. And I break the power of those curses and the power of witchcraft that has been released in my life. And in Jesus' name, I bind myself and my family to the mind of Christ. And God, I ask for your discernment that I would have insight into what you're doing in my life. I ask for boldness to defend others from the voice of suspicion and accusation. Help me, Lord, to pray when I hear a rumor. Help me, Lord, to stand in the gap when I see a fault. Help me, Lord, to walk in humility and help our church to become a house of prayer in this hill country. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. We're going to go back into worship, as I mentioned, as a response to this. And I want to encourage you as this team leads you to use these songs to declare and proclaim the name of Jesus over your life. We have communion set up here. And, and like I mentioned last week, we're not going to do it in an organized fashion. Just let it be a part of your worship. Come up here, take communion. Also, the prayer team will also be up here. And these men and women are here to minister over you, stand with you, to proclaim the name of Jesus over your life. You want to see things shift in your life? Grab a hold of one of these prayer people here and let them pray with you and minister over you as we do this. If you would stand to your feet, if you would, please. And I'm going to lead you one more time in declarations, okay? Last week, we made declarations over those three giants, those Talmai, Sheshai, Aiman, those three big giants. This fourth one is one we don't talk about a lot. This fourth one is one that I know that's not mentioned a lot in church, but I still think it's a major giant that you have to contend with. And so let's make this declaration. So just get in your position. I always think, I always think this, you got to kind of get room. <laughs> you know, you're going to put your foot forward and you're going to make some declarations here. So just say this out loud with me. Say, in Jesus' name, I declare that I am bold and courageous and I will no longer submit myself to fear and to intimidation. I declare that I will no longer compromise and coexist with darkness. I declare that I am no longer under the deception of witchcraft. I declare the release in my life of the spirit of truth and the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding and the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of counsel and the spirit of power and the spirit of might and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I declare that I am no longer persuaded by evil, but I am persuaded by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. And I declare in Jesus' name that every hex, every vex, and every incantation, and every negative word that has been released on me and on my family and on my ministry will have no effect. I declare, according to the word of God, that no weapon formed against me or my family or my ministry shall prosper and all forces of evil that rise up against me will fail. 
I declare that I am awakened and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I declare, according to the Word of God, that this Anax spirit of witchcraft has been found guilty of stealing from the kingdom of God and from me and from God's people. And I declare that this Anax spirit of witchcraft must cease and desist from all activities within my life and within my family and within my ministry. And I declare that I am no longer influenced by, controlled by, or strangled by this Anax spirit of witchcraft. And I declare that the people in this community are no longer influenced by, controlled by, or strangled by this Anax spirit of witchcraft. And I declare, according to the word of God, that everything that this Anax spiritual witchcraft has stolen in my life and in my ministry and in this community, he must return at least twofold in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together here. Let's declare this together. You know, as we sang that song, Break Every Chain, I just saw this picture in my mind of the whole room just filled with piles of chains on the floor. And, and it was like, everybody's like, I didn't know I had all those chains. And it was because they were invisible. We didn't see them. And as we began to speak and declare the freedom, they just started falling off and breaking up and just being in piles, just dormant, not... not. Hebrews 12 tells us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a God who fights our battles. He's already won the battle. And when we look to Jesus, we understand that he is going to finish what he started in us. And so we need to, with endurance, when the enemy attacks, because he's going to attack, but when he attacks, we simply say no, and we allow God to do what he's already done. The finished work that he laid out, the author and the finisher of our faith. So by faith, we're going to do it trusting in the one who gave us the faith amen you know i think you know when god begins to stir when begins to shift that's when you want to step in to that flow of movement and i feel like some of you there's been some nagging sicknesses different issues going on with your body that um, the presence of god is just here to in this moment to help you step in to that healing that he has for you. And so if, if there's anything going on in your body that you just want to say yes to God um, and just his healings, raise your hand just right where you are. Uh, if there's anybody here and there's people in the back um, as well. And so, and so, Father, we just reach out. 
Because we know it's part of the provision. We know it's part of your promise. That because, because of Jesus' stripes, that we have access to healing, that you have already brought healing for us. And so, God, I thank you that every giant that's been in the way, that's been trying to keep healing, your provision, your promise from flowing into these bodies. God, I thank you that every one of these giants has been removed. And so, Father, right now, we just receive, Father, your healing. We receive your strength. In Jesus' name, I release the healing power of God to flow through every single one of these bodies, to quicken these bodies to strength to cause every sickness and every disease to come and bow their name at the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus' name is above every one of those aches and pains and, and, and diseases and sicknesses. And so we declare, yes, God, over our bodies. And we declare with a loud, no devil, that you can no longer work in our bodies. And we release strength in these bodies right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, and we put our eyes and our focus on our attention on you because you are greater. You're greater than all of these things. And God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for how you're shifting things up. God, where we can step into what it is that you have for us. I was, let me just read this real quick. I was reading in, in um, Romans chapter 4, and I... It, just, it says this very simple thing. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. There's so much more to these verses, but it was just that verse that stood out for me. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. Let me suggest to you, enter into what God is doing for you. Enter into what God has provided for you. Enter into what God is speaking for you because that's where it will shift. That's where the turning point will be. Why don't you grab a hold of the person's hand beside you here. Let's pray for each other. Father, we thank you for these brothers and sisters that are around us. We thank you, God, that you set the lonely in families, that we're not alone God, you put us together with other brothers and sisters and that together we can stand. And when we're weak, we have people around us who are strong and that when we have these things going on, Lord, that we can come to them and Lord, they can even pray the prayer of faith and it'll cause our bodies to be, um, to be quickened and life to flow through. And Lord, I thank you for this body of believers, these, this family here. And Lord, I, I thank you that you are teaching us how to stand and after doing everything to stand, that you're teaching us how to cooperate with you, that you're teaching us how to not resist you, but to step into what you're doing so that that turning point can happen, so that that shift can happen. And so, Father, we just speak blessing on the people on our left and on our right. We speak blessing on the people who are in front of us and behind us. We thank you for what you're doing in their life. And so, Father, open their eyes to see it more fully. Open their ears to hear you in, in, in much more clear ways. God, give their hearts understanding what it is that you're doing. God, we speak blessing. We declare the people around us, their left and our right, in front of us, behind us, that they are 
blessed. And as they go into this week, Lord, we pray your divine protection around them, that you would guard them and guard against every sort of trap of the enemy, that your angels would go before us and around us and behind us, that you would prepare a place for us even in the midst of our enemies, that, God, your peace and your comfort would guard over our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the victory. Thank you, Father, for standing with us and being faithful even when we are faithless. God, thank you for your promises, and we just want to say yes and amen to them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. I want you to thank the Lord, if you would. Thank you. Amen. Um, uh, please stick around. You have people up here that can, we'll pray for you a little. Just hang around here also out front. I'm going to encourage you to get connected in a group. Don't go through this semester without being connected into a small group. Get your clutches, get your donuts. God bless you. Have a great day today.